Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. But I'm here to tell you this morning, God doesn't want you to call on him just when you are in time of need. But he wants you to call on him every morning, every day, every evening before you go down to sleep at night. He wants to be the last thing on your mind and the, when you lie down and the first thing on your mind when you rise up. And he wants to be everything that he is in your life on a daily basis. God wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to be with you continuously. He doesn't want to be a sometime God or a part-time God. He wants you to always stand in awe of him. He doesn't want you to become so familiar with him that you begin to disrespect him, to dismiss him, to overlook him, and to try and abuse him. He just wants you to remember who he is. He is sovereign God. He is Elohim. He is El Shaddai. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. And he is omnipresent. He is infinity and he is eternity. He is sovereign and he is God. There is no God but him. And we just ought to take some time throughout our day daily and just say, God, I thank you. I thank you for waking me up this morning. I thank you for giving your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross at Calvary, that I might have eternal life through him. God, I want to just thank you this morning. Oh, hallelujah, I just want to say thank you. Well, we have been, um, we have, we, last Sunday we began our series in the book of Hebrews on the superiority of Jesus Christ. And then that goes, what is man's definition of superiority? Well, the concise Oxford English Dictionary defines superior as higher in rank, status, or quality, of high standard or quality, greater in size and power, also conceit or arrogance. In every society, there are those who hold positions of greater prominence than the average citizen. In the military, there are persons of superior rank. In the ministry, there is the pope, the cardinals, the bishops, the pastors, etc. There are also those who have a superiority complex. They are the ones who put on an air of superiority in order that they might hide how they truly and actually feel about themselves. They live daily with the fear of being inferior to others, and they live constantly with the fear of failure. The one common thread that produce, that protrudes from the definition I've given you is that it pertains to human beings. It does not pertain to God, only to human beings. That means that no matter how strong an individual is physically, there will always be someone stronger. You may, you may hold the record as the fastest man or woman alive, but there will eventually be someone faster. You may be COO, CEO, or CJCS, that is, Chief Operating Officer, Chief Executive Officer, that is, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, etc. But eventually, eventually someone else will hold those titles. It has been this way since the beginning of time. Why? Man's notion of superiority is limited because he is a limited being. He is limited in his intellect, he is limited in his physical capacity or capabilities, and he is simply limited, period, as such. He or she makes mistakes repeatedly throughout their lifetime. But does this mean we should not strive to be very, very best at what we do? Of course not. You are required to be and do the very best you can all the time. The problem comes in when you think, based on how good you are, that you're better than someone else. 
or therefore think you don't need anyone else. You think that your skills make you invulnerable to being criticized or fired. You have to realize that you can be the very best at what you do and still be humble and respectful of others. Nothing you do is accomplished alone, even your failures. What do you mean? Well, you may say that you pick yourself up by your own bootstrap. You may say that you have this idea and it was you that brought it to pass. Well, let me tell you something. In order for you to bring to pass what it was, someone had to educate you, to help you to process the information. Someone had to be there to give you the finances you needed in order to get you to where you are now. Someone has to be there to help sustain you. If you are a merchant, someone has to buy your material, your your, your, your material. So everything that you do, someone you need someone to make it in this life. You didn't make it in this life uh, by your own self. You didn't give you didn't conceive yourself and give birth to yourself. You are, there's always someone there to uh, that assisted you in some way in, in helping you to accomplish what you have accomplished. And there is always someone there to help you in that area of your failure. You fail because of who you are and because of what you're trying to do and the fact that others don't, don't like what you're trying to do, so they walk away from you, so they, they reject you. They don't want what you have to offer. That ends up in your failure. There is always others involved in your life. If you ever think that you got to where you are, Simply on your own merits, or because of your own intellect, or because of your own physical abilities, here again, you need to rethink that thought. Pride will bring you down faster than anything that I know. Last Sunday, I spoke of Jesus' superiority over the prophets of the Old Testament. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. From these verses, we learn that Jesus is far more superior than the prophets, and that he is the only one through whom God is speaking today. Well, what about the preachers? What about the Yes, but we are speaking God's word, and he's the only one speaking today. He is, he is, as he is the divine logos, he is the living, active, written, and spoken word of God. Every preacher, every prophet, every evangelist, Every teacher that's teaching the Word of God is teaching Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is speaking because he is the Word. There is no way around it. The first letter in the book of Genesis, in the, in the first verse again, the word I begin is speaking of Jesus Christ because he is the living Word. Well, let's lift our Bibles as we prepare to make our, our profession. We will be reading from... Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 14, and chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. But we're only going to address, last week we dealt with uh, first, the first three verses of chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews. This morning we want to look at the last, um, what is it, the 11 verses, verses 4 through 14. If you have your Bibles, turn, uh, turn there, would you, would you turn there, uh, Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses three through uh, four through fourteen. Uh, but in the interim, please lift your hand, lift your Bible as we prepare to make our declaration on this morning. Repeat after me, if you will. If I receive this word with my mind only, this word will be dead for me. But if I receive this word with the Spirit over my mind, this word will be life for me. Lord, I don't need religious form and fashion. I need life. Now look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, there is life in the word of God. Father, we thank you this morning. 
as we enter to your presence. We are due. We're grateful because you are God. We're grateful because we can come to you. We're grateful because you have made a way for us to enter into your presence, from our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. We're grateful to you, Holy Spirit, because we are your temple, which live inside of us, which is given unto us by God. We are not our own, for we have been bought with a price. The blood of Jesus Christ on the cross is Calvary. Therefore, we glorify you in our body and in our spirit, which are yours, God. Father, I ask that you minister through me by your Holy Spirit. Become everything as I am undoubtedly without reservation, nothing in comparison to you. It is more important that we hear from you than that we hear from ourselves. And most of the Lord God, I stand not here in your presence and in the presence of your people to hear my own voice, but to hear the voice of your spirit speaking to us all. For we stand all in need of a touch from you. It is in the righteous name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, that we pray and we ask. For he is Lord. I love it. He is Lord. He has risen from the dead. And he is Lord. Every knee shall bow. And every tongue confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord, for He is Lord. Thank you, Jesus. He is Lord. Let's make it personal. You are Lord. You are Lord. You have. From the dead, and you are Lord. Every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 through 14. Having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained the more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again bring the firstborn into the world, he said, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, the heavens are the work of your hand. They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old and like a garment. Like a cloak, you will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? I love this word, and I'm grateful to God for the privilege of reading and standing before you to minister under the anointing of his Holy Spirit, his precious, living, saving word. Verse 4 is our transition from the prophet of the prophets to the angels. Having become so much better than the angels, he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. I want to talk about the superiority of Jesus Christ over the angels. Of course, our, our foundation, our, our topic, and this is just a subtopic 
of our overall theme uh, for this year, and that is building on truth, the word of God. We must understand that the truth, Jesus says in John chapter 17, verse 17, sanctify them by thy truth, O God. Thy word is truth. So it is the word of God that is the truth. We look, we put nothing, add anything to the word, nor do we take anything away from the word. We simply take the word as the word of God. And God says in, in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 and 6, that every word of God is pure. And that he is a shield to those who trust in him. So don't add anything to his word as he reproved you and showed you to be a liar. So it is important that we understand that the word of God is perfect already. We can't add anything to it. Who are we as simply merely human beings to think that we have sufficient enough wisdom and knowledge to second guess what God has written, caused to be written in his holy word? None of us are. Jesus Christ is superior to the angels. How do you know? How do we know that Jesus Christ is superior to the angels? Well, our text affords us insight into three aspects of Jesus' superiority over the angels. Number one, we have his affirmation. Number two, we have an exhortation or admonition. And number three, we have an explanation. So let's begin this day. Today I'm going to just address the affirmation and because this is a three-part uh, message here concerning his superiority over the angels. Verse four, verses 4 through 14 are made up of seven quotes from the Old Testament, all of which prove the superiority of Christ, our Lord, over all angels. Let me give you two definitions before moving forward in our message. What are angels? Let me give you just a short definition. Angels are messengers of God. They are supernatural beings possessing supernatural powers. So what do I mean by the word affirmation? That which is asserted or declared to be true. Our message will prove that Jesus is superior to all the angels. First, Jesus is the Son of God. And the first way that Jesus, the first aspect of the superiority is that Jesus is the Son of God. Verses 4 and 5, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Well, to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Listen, let's look at the more excellent name. Jesus has the most excellent name. He possesses the name Son. And that is more excellent than the angels. While in Job 1.6, the angels are referred to as sons of God, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Never has any angel, never has any angel been given the title of son. Never. He has never called one of them, given them that superior name, son. That title belongs solely to the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We observe here that the Hebrew writer, Hebrews writer has an impeccable knowledge of Old Testament scriptures, and he quotes them to prove his point. Why, you might ask, does he go through such great lengths to prove that Christ is superior to the prophets and the angels? First, this is a general letter, let me explain, meaning it is addressed to the Christian community in general, not the church in a, of a particular region. Christ, the Christian community was primarily Jewish. And second, it was written because the Christian community was under pressure from either the synagogue or from Gentile persecutors uh, of the Christians to give up their Christian faith. And how, do, how many of you know that just because Jesus Christ is now your Savior, and you are a Christian. Doesn't make you immune to the challenges of life. Someone will always cause you, try to make you doubt what you believe in, who you believe in. You have to know who you believe in. You have to know the truth of the Word of God. Jesus says, "I have." Jesus says, "You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free." It is not 
you must, it is the truth that you literally, literally know that will set you free. There's all kinds of human truth, but there is one truth that is greater than all truth, and that is the word of God. Why? Because human truth changes based on conditions, situations, times, and events. But the word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The word of God never changes. Never, never changes. Here's some of the scriptures that the, that the Hebrews uh, writer uses. Psalm 2 and 7. He says, I will declare thee. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. In Acts chapter 13, verse 33, the apostle Paul, preaching on the Sabbath day in the synagogue in Antioch of Pisidia, quotes Psalm 2 and 7 to the Jews. What Paul was saying to the Jews is, is that all that was written about the Messiah had to take place. His death on the tree, his burial in the tomb, and his being raised by God from the dead. It was at the time of resurrection that the beginning occurred. What do you mean at the time of the resurrection, the beginning occurred? Well, let's take a look at the scripture again. He says, uh, for which of the... Angels, did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? That's what I'm talking about. It was at the resurrection of Jesus Christ that the beginning occurred. From eternity, Jesus Christ was God the Son. So let's not make any mistakes here in thinking that Jesus Christ is a created being because he isn't. Some say that, that he was born of Mary because Mary, because Mary was uh, in she was an immaculate conception herself. Well, now listen. Jesus Christ was perfect. He was a perfect seed coming to the world through the womb of an imperfect individual. Mary was not imperfect. I mean, Mary was not perfect. She was a sinner, just like you and I were, are. But the problem is, but the point is, she was more honorable. Not perfect, but more honorable. And she is an honorable woman. Today she deserves to be recognized for who she really was, the son of Jesus, the, the, the mother of Jesus Christ. She was not Christotokos, she was not Theotokos, because she, she was a sinner. She was not the mother of God, nor the mother of, of, she was the mother of Jesus. She was not the mother of God. But she is a special woman, and we honor her with all of our heart because the Father chose her out of all women to bring his son, his only begotten son, into the world. And everyone, and I love her magnificent, that everyone is going to call her blessed throughout the ages because she was chosen by God to bring the Messiah into the world. Hallelujah. We thank God for the Messiah. Listen, Jesus Christ was not created. He was busy with God from the beginning. He is from eternity, from everlasting to everlasting. He is God. He humbled himself and became man, according to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. In his resurrection, Jesus glorified that humanity, that is the flesh that he was in, and that he received from the Father, and he received back the eternal glory he had hidden. That is, in, in John chapter 17, turn to John chapter 17, verse 1 and verse 5. John chapter 17, verse 1 and verse 5, and you'll get you'll understand what I'm saying. Jesus is praying, and he's preparing to leave this earth and to go back to heaven. Here's what verse 1 says. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. And then let's go to verse 5. And, show, and, and now, O oh Father... Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus was God from the very beginning. There is, there is no question because he is God. What Jesus was asking the Father, uh, what, what Jesus asking the Father is this, because he would soon be crucified, that he would keep him in his suffering, accepting his sacrifice, and resurrecting him and restoring him to his prime glory. 
This is what Jesus was saying. He's preparing to die for the sins of the world. And he wants God to give him that extra strength, that extra endurance that he needs because what he is about to go through is something greater than he had experienced since he walked in his 33 plus years walking on this earth. Yes, in his humanity, he was tired, he was hungry, he was sleepy. In his humanity, he was ridiculed, he was attacked, he was lied on, he was, they tried to stone him in his humanity, but they never did because his time had not yet come. But now he's saying that his time has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. And now, O oh Father, glorify, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus was asking the Father, because he would soon be crucified, I want to reiterate this, what was that he would keep him in his suffering, accepting his sacrifice, because Jesus would sacrifice himself for the world, his resurrection, because on the third day, he would get up out of that tomb. Death could not hold him down. Death was incapable of holding the King of kings and the Lord of lords down. He could not hold him down. So his resurrection and the restoring of him to his, his pristine glory, the purpose of the request was that the Father would be glorified by the Son, that God's wisdom, his power, and love might be known through Jesus Christ. I love it. Thus the resurrection declares Jesus is God's Son, Romans 1 and 4 says, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of Holiness by the resurrection from the dead. We know by this passage of Scripture that Jesus is alive and not dead. I know some people have images of a, of a, of a figure of Jesus Christ but they, in their imagination what he looked like hanging on the cross. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus is not on the cross anymore. He was taken down from the cross. He was not in the tomb anymore. He was laid in the borrowed tomb. But early on that third morning, Sunday morning, the angel came down from heaven and rolled back the stone. And Jesus rose up and alive with all power in his hand. There is no dead Christ. God is alive. His son is alive. We are alive through him. Second, he is the first begotten, firstborn who received worship. Verse 6. But when he began, when, when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. Now the term firstborn in the Bible does not always mean the one who was born first. Newsflash. An example is Solomon. David's son by Bathsheba. God made Solomon the firstborn. Psalm 89 and 27 says, Also, I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Even though Solomon is listed as the kiss in the official genealogy of David, he was made the firstborn king. Well, he was made king over Israel. Turn to First Chronicles chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. In your Bibles, real quick. First Chronicles chapter three, verses one through five. And it says, Now these were the sons of David who were born to him in Hebron. Now I want you to count the names of his sons. And I want you to tell me if Solomon is, is the firstborn among all of these. The firstborn was Amnon. Well, there you go. He was the firstborn. By Ahinoam, the Jezreelite. The second, Daniel, by Abigail, the Carmelite. The third, by Absalom, by Mecca, the daughter of Talmai, king of Gesher, or Gesher, rather. The fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggad. Fifth, Shephatiah, by Abital. And the sixth, Ithraim, Ithraim, rather, by his, by his wife, Eglah. Uh, and then these six were born in him in Hebron. There he reigned seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. And these were born to him in Jerusalem. Shemiah, Shabbat, Shobab, 
Nathan, Solomon, for by that Shua, the daughter of Amittai. So we see that Solomon is number 10. The title firstborn is one of rank and honor. For the firstborn receives the inheritance and the special blessing. Jesus Christ is the firstborn of all creation. So says the word in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, because he created all things. He is the highest of all who came before, came back from the dead, Colossians 1 and 18. When Jesus came into the world, the angels worshipped him. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43. Heavens rejoice with him. Let the sons of God pray, pay homage to him. God commanded them to do so, which proves that Jesus Christ is God. For no God, for none of God's angels, would worship a mere creature. That's another giveaway. Here's the third thing here. He served, he is served by angels. We're thinking about the superiority of Jesus Christ. He is served by the angels. Verse 7. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirit and his ministers a flame of fire? Here again, the writer of Hebrews extracts from the Old Testament, this time, Psalm 104.4, in verse 4. In both Hebrew and Greek, the words for spirit are translated wind. Angels are created spirits. They have no body, so they can assume human forms when ministering on earth. A good example is, is uh, Gabriel coming to the aid of Daniel, and Daniel will pray, and he comes down and, he, and, and Daniel taps Daniel on the shoulder, and he, so there's a physical contact. So that's one example. Another is Joshua. As he's taking the promised land, he finds himself standing before an angel of God who has his sword, sword drawn. And as Joshua asks the question, are you for us or for you for them? And he says, neither. I am from the Lord. I am for the Lord's army. And then Joshua fell down and worshipped him. Now, fell down before him. So we see that. And then, of course, the three that came from they came to Mamre, by the tree of Mamre, where uh, Abraham saw them walking, and he ran out, and he bowed himself down to them, and he invited them in, and he fed them, and it was there that they spoke, that the God, that God in human form spoke to, to Abraham and told him that by this time next year, your wife Sarah will have a son. So we see that they can take on bodily form, and we can see them as humans in their human form. Angels sometimes served our Lord when he was on earth. Matthew chapter 4, verse 11. Then the devil left him, says the scripture, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Luke chapter 22, verse 43. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and they served him, and they serve us right now. You don't believe me? Proverbs says, do not harm one of these little ones, for their angel which is never does also does always behold their face, behold the things of God in heaven. So the angels are there watching over the children. God says their angels does always behold his face. So we see that angels are watching over us even right now. Sometimes you wonder why you didn't when you fell asleep at the wheel because you're so tired. You wonder why you woke up right before you had an accident. Because God has appointed an angel to watch over you. So you have an angel. You may not want to understand that. You may want to not want to accept that, but that's true. Listen. Jesus Christ is, 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 is enthroned and anointed. That is, he is God. Enthroned and anointed. Verses 8 through 9. But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. And you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. I am such an old and avid reader of, old, of the Old Testament. Because it 
was to come. Here again, the writer of Hebrews draws from the will of the Old Testament in some false cause. This quotation from Psalm 45, 6 and 7 is translated, Thy divine throne, because cultists dislike this strong affirmation that Jesus Christ is God. Many people say, how can he be God? Because he is. It's not, nothing is impossible for God. God can divide himself into how many, every many people he wants to and still be every place physically, not be every place completely whole at the same time. He is not divided. He is not piecemeal. He doesn't have a part of himself in the east, a part of himself in the west, a part of himself in the north or the south, or the northeast, southeast, southwest, southeast, north, whatever. He is not completely and wholly present every place at the same time as one God. Jesus Christ is God, and there will be many that will fight that. They will fight that. But I, but here, the word of God says this, but the translation must stand. The word of God must stand. It cannot be added. So remember when I started out in quoting Psalm chapter, I mean Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 and 6. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield of those who trust in him. So don't add anything to his word that to reprove you and show you to be a liar. Every word of God is pure. It must stand as it is written. It must not be changed. It must not be altered. It must not be added to, and it must not be taken from. It must be expounded. It must be, it must be elaborated upon so that people can hear it and get a greater understanding. But the Word of God must never change under any circumstances. The Word must stand by throne, O God. Not divine throne, but thy throne, O God. Because the divine throne, if you talk about divine throne, that makes the throne, that causes the throne to be divine, God to be nothing. The throne does not live. It is an object. The, the reason the throne is, is because God is. And the throne is there to serve God, not God, the throne. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. That means his rule, his everlasting rule. Angels minister before the throne. They don't sit on the throne. One, is, one of the main teachings of Psalm 110 is that Jesus Christ, God's anointed Messiah Christ, is now enthroned in glory. Jesus himself referred to this important psalm in Mark chapter 12, verses 35 and 37. So let's go there real quick. Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 37. Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 37. And we find these words. Then Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, how is it? that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David. For David himself said by the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemy your footstool. Therefore, David himself calls him Lord. How is he then his son? That's a good question. Well, what Jesus was saying is this to the, to the leaders of the temple, is that David would never refer to one of his descendants as Lord. He never would. Therefore, the Messiah is more than just the son of David. He is also the son of God. Jesus was proclaiming the Messiah's deity, and therefore he was claiming himself or his own deity. And Peter used this same song once again on the day of Pentecost. While Jesus has not yet entered his earthly kingdom, he has been enthroned in glory, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly place.
come, Jesus then will, will enter his earthly kingdom. That means he will come and he will rule over the earth, just as he sits on his throne in heaven and he rules there as God. He will rule here on earth. When the Lord ascended and entered the heavenly glory, he was anointed for his heavenly ministry with the oil of gladness, Hebrews 29. This most likely refers to Psalm 1611, which Peter referred to at Pentecost. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance, Acts chapter 2, verse 28. What a joyful scene. That must have been. Psalm 45 is a wedding song, and our Lord today is the heavenly bridegroom, hallelujah, who experiences the joy that was set before him. An angel praised him, but they cannot share that position or that joy. Our Lord's throne is forever, which means he is eternally self-existent. I am God. He is, he is the eternal creator. Verses 10 through 12. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. The angels, my God, did not found the earth. They did not have the creative uh, juices and the intellect to create out of nothing all that is. They did not found the earth. They did not lay the foundation of the earth, but they too are part of creation. Jesus Christ is the creator, and one, and one day he will do away with the old creation and bring in a new creation. My question to you, my brothers and sisters, is what part do you want to be a part of? Do you want to be a part of the old creation, or do you want to be a part of the new creation? There will come a change, and that change is inevitable. The question is, are you so rigid and stuck in your way, in your unbelief, that you can, your heart cannot receive the truth of the Word of God? There will come a change. Everything around us changes, but he will never change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Creation is like an old garment, which will one day be discarded in favor of a new one. You know what I'm talking about. You can go to your closet right now, and you can look in your closet and see all that stuff that you had to have. It was the bomb. It was the end thing in that particular moment. But now, it's old and you don't want to have anything to do with it. And chances are you spread it a little bit so you can't wear it anymore. But, but you, you remember how you used to rant and rave about it. Well, you can't rant and rave about it anymore because it is old and you want something new to replace it. Well, I'm telling you, you are going to get old one day. You're going to lose your life one day, the life that you're living right now. You're going to get tired of You're tired of going to the club, but you don't know what else to do. You're tired of eating the same old food, but you can't find any creative way, any other creative way to prepare your food. But you like the food a certain way, so you're stuck right where you are. You, have, you, you like the shoes you have, but your feet are spread, and, you, and your feet have gotten longer, they spread wider, and they're starting to hurt, and you can't wear them anymore. But you, but you like them, so you want to go get something. So you try to get something to stretch them. You try to get something to do this. But then that, but, but the bottom line is, they're too small because your feet are too big. So you got to change. Everything changes. Everything gets old. So is there. And everything that has been created is all going to be folded up and, and, and a new one is going to come in its place. Jesus Christ is sovereign. Angels are the servants. Verses 13 and 14, and this is where we'll land. But what but the which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemy your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? Here again, we see the employment of Psalm 110, verse 1. 
the fact that Jesus Christ is now at the right hand of the Father, the place of honor, is mentioned repeatedly throughout the New Testament. Let me give you just a few scriptures, and you can look them up on your way and when you get home uh, during the week. Matthew 22, 43. Matthew chapter 26, verse 64. Mark chapter 16, verse 19. Acts chapter 22, verses 33 and 34. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. And of course, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 and verse 13. And Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. And Hebrews chapter 10, verse 2. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20. So I know I'm a little longer. You can ask me about those places. Angels are the ministry spirits who serve the Lord seated on the throne. But they also minister to us who are the heirs of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone. The angels today are serving us. You have to understand that. We are not alone. Everywhere you go, there is, there is God is watching over you. There will come a point if you're living a reckless life, if you're living a life of debauchery, if you're living a, living a life of death, I'm here to tell you that at some point, the grace will no longer abound, and the consequences of your actions will catch up with you. You have been kept and preserved, so whether you believe in God or not, you have been preserved because God has been watching over you, and he continues to watch over you and I. There is never a moment when we are alone, even when we feel alone, you say, ooh, that's spooky, that's eerie. No, God is God of all creation. He sees all things. He knows all things. Nothing is hid from him. The very secrets of your heart, God is aware of. He sees them. When you do something, he knows the motivation behind why you're doing it. So nothing is hid from God. That's why you can't pull the wool over God's eyes like you fool people. You can smile at people's faces and, make, and, and become excited, excited in, in a way, you know, theatrically, if you will, and people will say, oh, man, she's genuine, he's genuine. But really, they don't know your heart. God does. So what does this mean to you? That's the question you're probably asking. Well, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your, and I emphasize your, Savior and Lord, you are lost. It doesn't matter how successful you may be. It doesn't matter how much money you have or the kind of car you drive or even the quality of your clothes and shoes because they are temporary and they cannot save your soul. Just as your body cries out in pain when it is deprived of food and water, so too your soul is crying out for spiritual food and spiritual water. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. John 6.35. And he says, and if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Meaning, whoever drinks of the water that I shall, be, that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up to everlasting life. Now, you may think that this is a physical water, but I'm talking about a spiritual water. And your spirit needs a spirit water, just like your natural body needs natural water. And that spiritual water is the Holy Spirit. He is the one that will quicken your, your inner man and cause you to become alive. He who has quickened you in Christ, he, will one, he is the one that will sustain your soul, build your soul up, save your soul. When this body leaves, where will your soul go to be? Solomon said something about your spirit in Ecclesiastes 12 and 7. The dust, the body, will return to the death from which it was taken, but the spirit will return to God which gave it. And then, of course, Paul in 2 Thessalonians says you have a body, a spirit, and a soul. So you are a triune person, and so your soul, your spirit doesn't need things because it is really because it identifies with God. Your soul is worldly. It identifies with the world. 
and your body and your soul work together to depress your spirit from God. And so all you live for is the world. When your soul is, 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 is crying out for something more, you want to know why you feel like you're, you're, you're missing something, that's something you're just not fulfilled. That is your longing of your soul for, for, for that which it has been created for, and that is a relationship with God through Christ. Your soul is hungry and thirsty, and it can only be fed with the Word of God ah, and, the, and water is the Word of God. That's the only way. Whoever you are, you need to ask Jesus into your heart today. Don't delay because the next minute or hour or day is not promised. Don't say you'll wait a little longer. Uh -uh. Your time of salvation is now. Save your soul by inviting Jesus Christ into your heart as your Savior and your Lord. Eternal life is the only is only available through Jesus Christ. What does all this mean to you? Jesus Christ can save you now and for eternity. Not everybody that has died will have this privilege. They will live eternally in damnation if they don't know Jesus Christ, if they didn't know Christ before they died. And those who knew Christ, gave their life to Christ, will live with Christ in God in eternity, not suffering from pain and from the heat of, the, of, the, of a burning, fiery uh, furnace, or if you will, the pit of hell. They will be enjoying life, living large. You know how you live large? You know how you live large? That's how you live large. Many of you don't have a problem taking your money and investing it in order that you can have money for your retirement. Well, one day, you are going to retire this body. I mean, physically, it's going to go into the grave, or it's going to be cremated, or how it's going to be buried and destroyed, but it's going to return to the dust. Where are you going to spend eternity? That's my question. Mary can't get you there. Peter can't get you there. Paul can't get you there. St. Ignatius can't get you there. Nobody can get you there but Jesus. No one else can get you there. No other faith can give you eternal life. Because no other faith is from God. Everything else is a copy, a wannabe, a perpetration of to keep you away from the one true God. That's Satan at work. He's a, he's a great manipulator. He's a denier, evil spirit. But God is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through Christ. After hearing this word, there may be one, and you are without the Lord Jesus Christ. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.